Have you stood at that cocktail party desperately trying to get away from someone who, for the last 10 minutes, has been talking your ear off about some great investing opportunity or deal that you should be just crazy to pass on? If you haven't, and unfortunately that might mean it's you who's been doing the talking. And it's usually because you have a hot deal and not enough money to get it. So we're scrambling and we're doing crazy things like picking up the phone and dialing for dollars and networking and schmoozing and turning every conversation into real estate conversation, all this stuff. And it just smacks of desperation. But you don't need to appear to be a desperate real estate investor. Wouldn't it be a whole lot more enjoyable to be having conversations with interested people who know, like, and trust you and have already told you that they're interested in what you have to offer? And instead of us chasing after them, why don't we get them, well, they might not chase after us, but why don't we get them coming to us, putting up their hand and self-identifying saying, hey, Paul, this real estate thing you're doing, I'd like to find out more. Tell me about that. Because that conversation is a complete 180 from us desperately, needily, creepily calling people up. That's my guest this week, Dave Dubow. He specializes in teaching the smaller real estate investor, the mom and pop real estate investors, as he calls them, how to consistently raise money and not have to be doing hundreds of social media posts or go to every networking or cocktail event and do it all in a way that people look forward to hearing from you. It's a low-key marketing approach. I refer to this as constant, consistent, edutaining communication. Constant, consistent, edutaining communication. That's my definition of good marketing. Because again, we've got to remember who's getting this stuff. They aren't real estate weirdos like us. They don't want to know every single thing there is to know about real estate, the market, and all this kind of stuff. They want to get the gist. They want to know that we know our stuff. And ideally, they'd like to be entertained because we are in an entertainment society now. We've got very short attention spans. So if you don't grab them, if you don't get them somewhat interested, you're going to lose them. That's the key point. If you try to be too detailed or make outlandish claims, you're setting yourself up to fail. But if you follow Dave's five-step process, you'll not only have the right way of doing it, but you'll have a repeatable system that can mean you're never going to have to dust off that desperate cocktail dress and have people running from you when you come in the door. What I recommend is never stop. Always be raising capital. And that's not meaning that people are cutting your checks left, right, and center. It means that you're having a consistent flow of inbound investor inquiries leading to in investor meetings, leading to expressions of interest, leading to you having an ever-growing group of investors in the wings, ready to go, ready to jump on your next deal. So if you want to know how to have a personal brand that people trust and that authentically attracts investors and their money, we have all the answers for you with my guest, Dave Dubow, after the break. This is REI Branded, the podcast all about building your real estate investing personal brand. My name is Paul Kopkut, and my mission is to help you, the busy real estate investor, stand out from the crowd so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. And that all means you can build a successful real estate investing business without feeling inauthentic, overwhelmed with marketing, or spending all day doing it. Because marketing is how you get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you.
But before we begin, if you're a real estate investor looking to build your business and stand out from the crowd, and you don't want to wait for all the knowledge, strategies, and how-tos to be slowly delivered to you via this podcast every week, then I invite you to apply for the REI Branded Audit. That's the process I've created that has already helped dozens of real estate investors to define and develop their personal brands and build their real estate investing businesses. This audit is a mind-focusing, eye-opening insight addressing key questions like, is your message clear? Is it consistent? Do you stand out as being different? And are you on people's radars and inspiring them enough to reach out and want to know more? The application only takes a few minutes and the link is in the show notes. After you apply, if it seems like I can help you, we'll set up an initial conversation to explain the audit in more detail and answer any questions you have. So if you're a real estate investor who's committed to building your personal brand and business this year, then I invite you to apply for the REI Branded Audit. The link to apply is in the show notes. Now, back to the show. When real estate investors get started, it's usually not hard to fund the first one or two deals. But after that, it can be more of a challenge. And unfortunately, raising capital has been tainted a little with the past slick practices and scripted pitches that are really not needed. It can actually be a process that you look forward to rather than avoid, because you can actually be selective and use the personal brand you already have to make it work for you. Welcome, Dave. Uh, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on. You've built quite the brand around helping those early real estate investors. So they maybe got their first one or two properties. They're getting a a feel for the business and now they want to take it to the next level. And all of a sudden there's that big barrier, Yeah, getting the money. What's the first thing that you're sitting down with somebody in that situation? What's the first thing that you kind of lay out to them as what they need to be thinking about, what they need to be doing? Yeah, for sure, Paul. So it's really important that mom and pop, what I call mom and pop real estate investors, when they're first starting to, to raise capital, get clear about a couple of big ideas. And the first big idea is who they should be going after as prospective investors, especially when they're first getting started. Because a lot of people think, well, hey, anybody with a pulse and a checkbook would make a good investor. So they go out, and I think you've seen this, we were talking about this, you see people on social media posting, hey, I've got this great deal, have you got any money, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, networking and schmoozing. Back in the day, people used to put ads in the newspaper and things like that, looking for investors. A couple of big challenges with that, Paul. Number one is just logic, right? So if, if you're going to get somebody to invest $100,000 with you in a real estate deal, they need to know you, they need to like you, they need to trust you, right? That's just common sense. You're going out to strangers, they don't know you, they don't like you, they sure as heck do not trust you with their $100,000. So that's starting from scratch, that's a very difficult thing to do. Second challenge is the securities regulations and regulators. And we got these things in Canada called the you know, provincial securities regulators. And they basically all say it's illegal for you and I as a mom and pop real estate investor to raise capital from the general public unless we're a licensed professional like a stockbroker or financial planner, or mortgage broker in some cases, or we've got an offering memorandum or we've set things up in a certain way structure-wise where we can accept funds from the general public, which tends to be very, very expensive to do. That's the big challenge. We want to make sure we're focusing on the right people and avoiding the wrong people. What I'm going to recommend people do 
because you, you know we can't go out to the general public. There is this group of people called accredited investors, high income, high net worth people. You know, top typically the top three or four percent of the population financially. The government says, "Hey, these guys are smart enough with their money; they can invest wherever they want." The challenge is everybody's trying to get their attention. So if we're a mom and pop real estate investor just getting started with raising money, why the heck would these people pay any attention to us versus right. somebody who's got a track record, right? So you probably think, well, where does that leave us? There's a long-winded way to get to the point of let's focus on a target group of people that we already have a pre-existing relationship with. They already know us. They already like us. And in certain ways, they already trust us. Maybe not with their 100,000 yet, but they trust us. We've got a pre-existing relationship, friends, family members, co-workers, business associates, people you know from school, from church, from civic organizations, you know them, they know you. So this is the area that we are allowed to play in when it comes to raising capital. And again, caveat here, I'm not a securities lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just sharing my understanding of things. If you do it right, you are allowed to work with close friends, family members, and business associates. So let's focus on that. That's big concept number one. The second concept is when should we start raising capital? And for many of us, it's when we've run out of our own money, we've self-financed our first couple of deals, and then we've got a hot one that landed in our lap and it's like, oh crap, where do I get the money for this deal? So we're scrambling and we're doing crazy things like picking up the phone and dialing for dollars and networking and schmoozing and turning every conversation into a real estate conversation, all this stuff. And it just smacks of desperation. The second big concept I want to share with people is when it comes to the money or the deal, which comes first, ideally, the money always comes first. Because if you've got a bunch of investors ready and waiting in the wings, then you can go make offers on properties, get properties under contract with confidence because you know you've got the capital to back you. So does that kind of set the stage there? Mm. Focus on people that you know. And ideally, start raising the money before you actually have the deal. So this is the classic dig your well before you're thirsty. Oh, beautiful. Well said, because there is this other classic saying in real estate, just find a good deal and the money will find you. And I say baloney. I say your advice is much better. Dig your well first before you're thirsty. In other words, let's get our investors lined up, our investor ducks in a row, and then let's go looking for the deals. It makes life so much easier. Now, the one thing I can imagine straight away in the back of the mind of our listener is, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm begging to the family to borrow money. Exactly. Right. So we don't want to do it that way because if you pick up the phone and you start dialing for dollars, that's exactly what's going to happen. Here's what we do. I'll just kind of break down. It's a whole five-step process, but I'll give you the 30,000 foot perspective here, Paul. First thing we do is we create a target group of approximately 150 to 200 people, pre-existing relationships, friends, family members, co-workers, business associates, blah, blah, blah. And people probably say, I don't know 200 people, Dave. Yeah, you probably do. So here's what we do with our clients, because we do this stuff one-on-one with people. We export all of their contacts from their cell phone, their email contacts, their social media contacts, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikToks, TikTok, whatever the heck you're into. Get them all into one place, like an Excel spreadsheet, sift, sort, duplicate. I'm probably going to get it down to about two or 3,000 people on that list. Now, you don't really know all of those people, but you can quickly whittle that down to a couple of hundred people that you actually do have a pre-existing relationship with. So that's going to be our target group. Are all of them going to become investors? Heck no, right? If you have 200 people 
probably out of that group over time. You're probably safe to say you can probably get in the seven to 15 investors out of that group over time, which for most mom and pops is all you're ever going to need because those people, once they start seeing some results, they're going to invest and reinvest and and refer you and all this kind of stuff. But that's where we want to get started. So then here's the key, because you mentioned people are saying, I don't want to call up my friends and family and hit them up for money. Well, let's not do that. Let's turn this whole thing around, Paul. And instead of us chasing after them, why don't we get them? Well, they might not chase after us, but why don't we get them coming to us, putting up their hand and self-identifying saying, hey, Paul, this real estate thing you're doing, I'd like to find out more. Tell me about that. Because that conversation is a complete 180 from us desperately, needily, creepily calling people up. Does that make sense? Yeah, but how do you do that? All right. Now you want to get you, you, you want me to tell you how to do that. All right, no problem. So we start off with that, that list of a couple hundred people. And then the first step is to actually reconnect with these people before we even start talking business, before we even start talking deals or real estate investing. We want to reconnect with these folks on a personal level first and set the stage to start talking about real estate. So what we do is we set up what's called a three-step warm-up campaign. And the most efficient way to do this at this time is to do it via email, right? Because you got a couple hundred people. If I told everybody to call everybody up and set up coffee meetings, all this kind of stuff, it ain't going to happen. But we can do this efficiently through email, three simple emails. The first email that goes out is what I call the Christmas letter from Aunt Nadine. Because <laughs> my Aunt Nadine back in the 70s and 80s, every Christmas used to handwrite a lovely long letter. She'd go down, get it Xeroxed, because that's what we called photocopying back in the day put it in with her Christmas cards and send that to all of her friends and family. Because back in those days, there was no social media, no email, no faxes. Long distance phone calls were crazy expensive. So people wrote letters and that's kind of how they stayed in touch. So we're going to do a modern version of that, kind of catch people up on what we've been up to and the family has been up to for the last three, four, maybe five years. Okay. Doesn't have to be super long about, if you're going to print it out, maybe about a page long, give or take. Nice, friendly, non-formal kind of a, a communication. And at the end of it, you say, hey, that's what I've been up to. How about you? Please reply to this email. Let me know how you do it. You set that up in a CRM or an email autoresponder, send that out to all 200 people. Then your job is to respond to people that reconnect with you because there is capital in those connections. Not this second, but we're going to set the stage for success further down. So that's the first message. Second message goes out two or three days later, very similar kind of message, but I recommend you do it video form this time. Again, with that call to action, hey, love to hear how you're doing. If you haven't had a chance to yet, please hit reply to the email. Let's connect. Let's catch up. Send those out. Typically, we're seeing that people are getting anywhere from a 10 to a 20% response from that. So that's good. You're not going to get all 200 people replying to you, but you're probably going to get somewhere in the range of 20 to 40 people getting back to you. And there is capital in those reconnections. And then here's the magic, Paul. The third step in this is what I call your transition message. And this is going to let people know that we're going to switch gears. We're going to start talking about real estate and um, just give them the heads up of what's coming down the pipeline. So transition message might go something like this. Hey, it's Dave. It's been really good reconnecting with you over the last week or so. I want to let you know, I plan on doing a much better job of staying in touch letting you know what I'm up to with real estate investing. 
It's something I'm really excited about, really doing well with it. In fact, I think real estate's the best way for everyday folks like you and like myself to get an above average return on our money backed by a solid, tangible asset, a real piece of property. I don't know anything else out there that has as many different profit centers and that we can exercise as much control over as a piece of real estate. And who knows, maybe sometime in the future, you might even want to partner with me and share in the profits. So we have this kind of a message. It's not a direct kind of a thing. It's an oh, by the way kind of thing. We wrap it up and say, and if, if you haven't had a chance to get back to me yet, please, please, please hit reply to this email. Let's catch up. I'd love to hear from you. So ding, ding, ding. That goes out over about a one week period. And now we've set the stage. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So you're basically seeding. Um, and then what do you do about keeping in touch? You've promised to keep in touch. Yeah, we promised to keep in touch. Well, actually, the next step, that, that's step three of this process. The next step is we want to make sure we're ready to go in case somebody says, hey, Paul, what's this real estate thing you're doing? I'd like to find out more. Now, the warm-up campaign is not designed to get you investor meetings. However, we find that when we're working with clients about half the time, that's exactly what happens. So about half of our clients get somebody reaching out saying, hey, Paul, tell me about your deals. So now we got to be able to do what? Tell them about our deals, right? What we always recommend is have a good, simple, easy to follow, easy to understand slide deck presentation, like a PowerPoint, and walk people through that either one-on-one, like at a coffee meeting or on Zoom, like we are right now, share your screen, walk them through this and keep it very high level. Because one of the mistakes we make as real estate entrepreneurs is we assume everybody else is a real estate enthusiast, or as I refer to a real estate weirdo like us. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Most people don't give a crap. So we don't want to overwhelm folks with too much information, too much data, too much jargon. We want to keep it reader's digest level so that it's easy for them to understand. They get the gist of it and they know that we know our stuff. So that's really important with this presentation. Keep it pretty high level and uh, walk people through your primary real estate investing strategy, your primary market, why it makes sense and how it works and what more closely, most importantly, what's in it for them as your investor partner. It's not about how smart Dave is or how smart Paul is. It's really all about what's in it for the other person. Does that make sense, Paul? So that's step number two. Make sure you've got your, your, what we call your million dollar investor presentation dialed in and ready to go. And that makes a lot of sense because if you're a mom and pop and you've only done one or two deals, you may not have a really fantastic looking case study that that you would throw into that. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, you want to use ideally one of your deals as a case study. And here's the other thing. Just a tip here for folks. Don't put your best deal ever in there as a case study. Two reasons. Reason number one, right now in today's environment with people making nothing on their investments, you put money in the bank, you make nothing on it. Um, I I had $50,000 in a three-month CD, certificate of deposit. I made a whopping $24 on that. I just wanted to park it for a little while and, and have it out of, out of reach. But basically, that's the kind of returns people are used to. So if they're seeing your best deal ever, and you're talking about 35% internal rate of return and ROIs and NOIs and all this kind of jargon and stuff, first of all, those returns are going to just seem astronomical to the average human being. They're going to say, that sounds too good to be true. That Paul guy, there's something fishy here. So it, it can't be that good. 
So I actually do recommend if, if you've got one or two deals, put your average kind of deal in there. And if you only have one deal and it was a home run, then drop down the numbers, make the numbers more conservative. So it's more realistic for the average person. And then the other thing is, if you put your best deal ever in there and the other person doesn't get excited about it, well, guess where their expectations are now? If you can't deliver that kind of a home run again, which you probably won't, they're going to be disappointed, even if you do give them a good solid return. And this can work for any strategy. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's the same. The the, the process is the same. You just plug and play different markets, different real estate strategies in there. You mentioned about handling expectations. What about the over-enthusiastic friend that's kind of reaching into their wallet or checkbook and they're literally writing a check for you? Is that something you want to well, kind that's of... that's kind of a nice problem to have, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I'm wondering, should you temper... I haven't had anybody temper- complain no? about that one. Okay. <laughs> now, here's what we're typically looking to have happen from an investor presentation. Not somebody to cut us a check, uh, necessarily. Most people are looking to get a group of investors ready to go in the wings. So when they've got their next deal, these folks are the ones that are going to approach about it. So what we do is we recommend you get an expression of interest from your investor, get them to sign off on that. You know, I, Dave DeBow, am ready, willing, and able to invest a sum of up to $150,000 with Paul Kopkut in his next real estate deal anytime within the next eight months or whatever that is, right? It's not legally binding, but it's a really good uh, indication that I'm serious. More. John Hancock on there, they're pretty serious, even though it's not legally binding. So yeah, so that's step number two. Let's, you know, after we got that list and we've warmed people up, we've broken the ice with them, We've got our investor presentation ready to go. Now we talk about our favorite thing because we're marketing nerds. We talk about the marketing. So it's right. the, I refer to this as constant, consistent, edutaining communication. Constant, consistent, edutaining communication. That's my definition of good marketing. Because again, we've got to remember who's getting this stuff. They aren't real estate weirdos like us. They don't want to know every single thing there is to know about real estate and the market and all this kind of stuff. They want to get the gist. They want to know that we know our stuff. And ideally, they'd like to be entertained because we are in an entertainment society now. We've got very short attention spans. So if you don't grab them, if you don't get them somewhat interested, you're going to lose. When we're talking about constant and consistent, I'm recommending when we're working with one-on-one clients, we get them set up so they're communicating with their list once a week. Different kinds of edutaining marketing going out can be electronic newsletter one week, a blog post, a video log the next week, maybe another blog post in the next month, kind of that same idea. So it's kind of different stuff, different modalities, touching on different things for different people, and always are the very clear call to action. Because again, you got to remember, our goal is, instead of us picking up the phone, calling people up, is to be answering the phone because people are contacting us or booking appointments on our calendar or whatever that looks like. Always have a clear call to action. Tell people exactly what you want them to do. Hey, if you'd like to find out more, click on the link below, book an appointment. Let's have a conversation. See how this can work for you. And then where does that go? Okay, so the deal comes in. You found the the red hot deal. Are you going straight to that list of pre-qualified people? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I've got a hot one. I've got a great one. So then we do a slightly modified deck on that. We go over the big picture of what this deal is all about. You can either do that one-on-one with people, or you can say, hey, I'm having a little group presentation. You got five or 10 people that have put up their hand. If you get several of them on board at the same time, then it's basically the goal is to create a, a bit of 
supply and demand. If you only need one investor to do a deal is, hey, I need one investor with 150,000 to do this deal. First come, first serve. That's where we want to get people to. Are you finding that your mom and pops are having to, in the current market, move faster, be ready faster? Oh, yeah, definitely. They're having to pivot and do different things and perhaps change strategies and the whole thing to make things make sense. You got to be ready. That's why it's just like finding deals. This is one of those things you get up and running and you keep it running all the time. Because I'm sure this drives you nuts, Paul. When you see people doing hit and miss and sporadic marketing, which is what we see all the time. They, they've got a deal on the go. They market like crazy. They've, they've got social media posts. They've got all this stuff going on, all this activity. And then they raise capital or the deal fizzles out more often than not. And then it's crickets until they got the next hot one on the go. And then there's fits and starts all the time. What I recommend is never stop. Always be raising capital. And I, that's not meaning that people are cutting your checks left, right, and center. It means that you're having a consistent flow of inbound investor inquiries leading to in- investor meetings, leading to expressions of interest, leading to you having an ever-growing group of investors in the wings, ready to go, ready to jump on your next deal. And how important is the edutaining and taking people through the slide deck? So I get, say somebody gets a referral, mm. that referral is hot hot to do it because, oh, you did a great deal with my friend Fred and now I want to do it. And yeah, no, I don't need to see all that. Is it still important to go through those? Oh, for sure. Yeah, because you might not have a deal right now for that new investor. So you got to, first of all, you got to explain that you want to have an educated investor because your buddy, your investor, Fred, did not explain it as well as you can explain it. You just didn't. So you got to make sure that you walk through your presentation with the prospective investor get them signed off on an expression of interest, get them into your system so that you're constantly, consistently nurturing that relationship. You're staying, you're getting top of mind, and then you're staying top of mind with that edutaining marketing. At least that's my take on it. And what about asking for referrals? Is that something that you recommend? Oh yeah, for sure. Once you've got, that's not step five of our five-step process here, my friend. Right. So it's getting testimonials and referrals. Stay on track. <laughs> so we got step, step one, step two, step three is the deal. No, right? no step three is nope. the marketing. Step, step four, and again, a lot of this stuff happens all at the same time, but step four is all about kind of your neck of the woods, the creating credibility around yourself and what you're up to. So you're obviously the branding guy. This is about calling, creating what I call capital credibility, because a lot of mom and pops say they belong to real estate investment clubs and associations and Facebook groups and this and that and the other thing. They see the gurus out there or the people at their local RIA or real estate clubs that have done dozens or hundreds or decades worth of deals. And here they are, they've got two or three little deals under the belt. And they go, how can anybody take me seriously if I don't have that kind of experience or that kind of background? And here's the good news, you guys. If you've got even one successful revenue property deal under your belt, you're ahead of 95% of the general population because the statistic that I've heard, take it for what it's worth, statistics and all that stuff, but this was told to me by a guy that got it from CMHC or something, that 95% of the population has never invested in a revenue property. Their own house does not count. I'm talking about an actual investment property. So if you've got even one successful deal under your belt, You might not be ahead of 95% of the people in your real estate investment club, but you are ahead of 95% of the people 
in your list of prospective investors who are not active real estate investors. Does that make sense? Yep. The general population. So different ways to be seen as much more credible and, and trustworthy. Sharp looking materials, branding, like you talk about. Having sharp professional looking materials goes a long way. Speaking knowledgeably about your real estate investing strategy and your market. Dressing professionally when you're talking with people about investing with you. So gentlemen, I recommend put on a blazer, put on a nice shirt, dress up a little bit, at least business casual when you're talking with people about investing. Other tips, tricks, strategies, get interviewed on podcasts. That's a great way to be seen as an authority. Speak at your local real estate investment club, participate in that, be seen, be heard. And the more that you do that, the more your credibility is going to go up and you don't have to have a ton of experience under your belt. And then I could see your step five. So I'm jumping to step five now. There we go. Yeah, because we just finished number four. So yeah, step number five. So asking for referrals, the first thing they're going to do is what do you have out there? And if you've done those first four steps, the credibility is there, the testimonial and everything else is. There's certain places where I would ask for referrals, Paul. I wouldn't ask everybody and anybody. I wouldn't do the realtor thing. Hey, your referrals are appreciated and all that corny. (laughs) What I would do is I would be looking for referrals from my investors. Once you got one or two investors on board, it's so much easier to get more of them because you can start a little bit of the snowball effect. If I got an investor on board and they're really happy with how things are going, then I can ask them for a couple of things. First thing I'd like to get from them is a testimonial and ideally a video testimonial. That is golden. And then I would also like to ask them if they know anybody else who might be interested in the kind of deals that I'm doing. And I would like to get a warm introduction, not just a referral, but an actual introduction. Because referrals, if you call somebody up cold from a referral, that's weird. But if you and I jump on a call and talk with one of your friends and you and you introduce me that way, then that is a warm introduction. You can even do it via email, but you want always want a warm introduction. Right. What do you do? At, you and I, you know, we spend every day doing this and recommending it. So we know that there is going to be rejection. How do you help your mom and pops handle that when you get the email that says, I'm not interested, don't bother me? The immediate human reaction is to take it personally. Well, if we do it this way, I won't say eliminate that, but you do minimize it, right? So that's a beautiful thing about these tools that we're talking about. If you get your email system set up, you're doing it through a a CRM or an email autoresponder, well, you make it easy for people to unsubscribe. So they don't have to send you those snarky emails. They just kind of click on a button and poof, they're gone. All right. So that saves our delicate feelings a lot. But if you do get the occasional jerk, uh, which can happen, and the further up the totem pole we go, the further out our derriere stick and the more shots other people take at us. And you can see this on social media these days. I mean, Mm. my God. But if we want to be a successful entrepreneur, we have to develop a little bit thicker skins, right? We're, we're getting out of the norm. We're doing things that average people don't do. So some people might get jealous. Some people might get miffed, whatever. It doesn't really matter. I think, I think the quote is from Aristotle. The only way to avoid criticism is to say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. I like that. We want to do something different, right? We want to do just like we were talking about Sarah Larby. 
she had to expand her contact. She had to expand her thick skinness moving ahead. That's, that's just part of the process. Now, if you do things right and you're not spammy and you are edutaining people, the chances of you getting shot down in flames are much, much shorter. Now, is, does that mean that every investor presentation you're going to do is going to turn into somebody investigating? Of course not. That's not realistic. You're going to have some people saying, hey, thanks for the presentation, Paul, but no, it's, it's not a good fit for me. That's perfectly fine. You know why? A couple of reasons. Reason number one, if you had a nice conversation with that person and everything went well, it just isn't a good fit for them right now for whatever reason, that's also a good time to ask for a referral. It's not a good fit for you, but do you know anybody else, now that you understand this, that might be interested in these kind of deals? Wait a few seconds. Well, yeah, maybe my brother-in-law, Fred, or no, I can't think of anybody, but at least it gets them thinking about it. And then the second thing is, just because you say, no, it's not a good fit for me now, doesn't mean it's always going to be a no. Time and circumstances can very well change your mind. Maybe six months down the road, you get your next statement from the investor guys, and you see how much money you're not making with your mutual funds and how much they're charging you for management expenses and all that kind of stuff. And you go, what the heck am I doing? Why don't I take these RRSPs or whatever it is I've got and start investing them with Paul and his real estate deals? Because that looks like it's a heck of a lot better. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's total. the importance of that, mm-hmm. that constant, consistent, edutaining communication. Just because they say no, doesn't mean we're going to kick them off the list. We're going to keep dripping on them, keep edutaining them. When we do close on a deal, when we do subscribe a deal, or we do get investors on board, hey, just got this new deal on the go. It's all funded up. Our investors are thrilled. We're going great. Ding, ding, ding. So you just keep on, get top of mind and stay top of mind with your folks. And your system, because it is a system, that makes it a lot easier to stay on track, be consistent, because you've got the steps there. Well, believe it or not, Paul, not everybody is a marketing nerd like we are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, can believe I don't know it. if you realize that. And it's true. Most people are, you know, they're, especially most mom and pop real estate investors, they're busy. They're working a full-time job. They got a family. They've got their portfolio that they're probably self-managing and they're trying to have a life on top of all of that. They're busy. So that's why my company, we kind of like what you do, but we we're very narrowly focused. We provide done for you services to get this stuff done. So people don't have to think about it all the time. Now, there's some questions I do like to ask on the podcast. You answered one of them, which is the quote, favorite quote. Yeah. Do you, do you have a favorite brand or personal brand and why? Personal, favorite personal brand right now. You know, it changes over time, Paul. So I would say one of my favorite brands right now is Strategic Coach. Oh, Dan, Dan, Dan Sullivan. Sullivan. Yeah. Yes. I I'm I'm part of strategic coach right now and I'm so I'm immersed in that whole thing and I just admire how smart that gentleman is and, and what a, an amazingly tight company they run and what a good job they do with their branding and their messaging so yeah that's probably my favorite one ah that's funny my current coach is the co-author of his last two books nice so ben- Benjamin Hardy is the yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of sub writer so well he's the main writer well <laughs> he true. did all the right he did all the work it's all, it's all dan's ideas though so. <laughs> um what about a, a recommended book or resource that you think a good place for people to kind of kick off or uh, another dan uh, another uh 
strategic coach resource there, I would suggest that people get pick up the book, Who Not How. That's a yep. fantastic book. Uh, is new, their newest book as well uh, is, is fantastic. And that's The Gap and the Gain. That's a really good one. It's not necessarily business focus. It's all about the mindset kind of thing. So both of those books are fantastic. Right. Agreed. Totally. And do you have a favorite new resource that you're currently enjoying or tool uh, that you're currently enjoying using? Let's see. Well, I'm always getting signed up for different things, but I'm not sure how applicable it would be to the population in, in general. But one of my favorite tools is Upwork. Mm -hmm. Resources is Upwork. So again, I use a lot of freelancers or elancers as sometimes they're called. And Fiverr and Upwork are fantastic places to go if you need stuff done. If you need a little graphic done or you need a logo done or you need certain simple parts of branding done, that's a good place to go for that kind of stuff. Talk to the experts for the big picture like yourself, the whole strategy side of things. But when it comes to individual little <laughs> tactics and tools, uh, very, very helpful for that. There's your, there's your who, not how. So, exactly. exactly right. for sure. And they love doing it. So that makes it even better. Yeah. So how can people get hold of you, Dave? What, find out more about your program. Find out more about you. What's the best place? Moneypartnerformula.com. Moneypartnerformula.com. So you can get a copy of my book, Money Partner Formula, coincidentally. You can find out about our, we, we do full day virtual workshops, taking a deep dive into this whole five-step process. We spend eight solid hours really, really going in depth into that. So you can check that out. You can book a call if you'd like to have a conversation with me and talk about how working together could look. Uh, again, that's all at moneypartnerformula.com. Wonderful. Well, we really appreciate your time today and, and giving us an insight, Dave, into, into your program. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate what you do, man. By now, you should appreciate that your personal brand has all the elements you need to make connections with people and start to build that trust. And that's the beauty of Dave's formula. You're looking to build relationships with people who already know and hopefully like you. That's the first step of his five-part money partner formula. Sorting and filtering the connections you already have. Then step two is to use a well-designed slide deck to educate and explain what you do. And then step three is to continue to edutain them. And then step four is have them see your expertise and authority. Then once they become investors, step five, you can use their positive experiences to get reinvestments from them and attract new investors. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. And if you're wondering where your real estate investing brand currently stands and some steps to make it more brandtastic, you can download our free REI brand checklist at reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.